Welcome in to week 10 of the water cooler. Hard to believe that we've been here for so long. College football almost over. But uh, as always, the season will pack quite an exciting punch at the end here. But let's talk about last week a little bit first. Auburn traveling to Oxford, Mississippi to take on the Ole Miss Black Bear Rebel Red Bears, whatever, whatever they are. Houston Nuts. Houston Nut Jobs. Don't don't know what to call them, yeah. but uh, the, the team in Mississippi that is not doing good. Right, basically. and uh, Auburn obviously passed a big test uh, for three straight weeks prior. The number one team had lost. Tough to really say if Auburn was technically the number one team or not. I guess the BCS was the one that mattered, but uh, regardless of what the rating was, Auburn went in there, took care of business. And uh, really, let's talk about offense first. Auburn really didn't do what a lot of people expected them to do based on what's happened the past couple of weeks. Cam Newton really didn't run that much in this game, but Gus Malzahn still did a very good job of taking what was given to him. Oh, yeah, his, his play calling was fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm sure they figured Ole Miss would try to stop Cam Newton, and turns out you can't stop one guy. There's ten other guys on the field, so... You know, it's great offensive effort. Um, I, as as you can, as you saw, take out Cam Newton, Dyer, McCaleb turn out. Turns out Cam can pass. So there's all the I guess the ESPN guys saying it's a one man team. Um, Cam can't pass. All he does is run. Whatever. Wide receivers made lots of plays. Running backs made plays, and of course, offensive line amazing yet again. Yeah, really just a dominating performance for Auburn, and I think you're right. Auburn's coaches probably expected this. Uh, this was sort of like the Super Bowl of the season for Ole Miss. So they did everything they could to stop Cam Newton. And I think the coaches realized that if Ole Miss was able to get a couple of big stops on Cam Newton early in the game, that'd probably keep the crowd in things a little bit. So they didn't even give them a chance to do that. Cam Newton really didn't even take a, a designed run until maybe the second quarter. So uh, they totally took that element away from them. But it really wasn't a problem, like you said. I thought Cam Newton looked very good making his passes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Darvin Adams and Cody Burns just always open at the right times. Not a whole lot of drops. Uh, if the ball's thrown in their area, it seems like they're always able to pull it in. Emery Blake, too, had a nice game. Uh, there were even a couple of times when Emery Blake was wide open and, and Cam just sort of overthrew him a little bit. I think he could have had another... Yeah, too much heat on the ball. Yeah, too another well, touchdown, so... so. Uh, an excellent passing performance. You mentioned Michael Dyer and Ontario McCaleb. Let's talk about Dyer first. I mean, really just a, a career game for him. Yeah, he had, what, maybe what, 180 yards. Yeah, what, I think right one, around One or two scores. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's actually second rushing in the, in the conference in rushing yards at 723. Behind uh, Cam Newton. Yeah, behind so. Cam Newton. <laughs> he's tied with Ridley at LSU. And he's one yard ahead of Lattimore at South Carolina, so I'm. Doesn't seem like Dyer's gotten that many carries until you know just kind of like past few games, but still he's definitely come on. I think his he's finally healthy. No more limp or whatever you want to call it. Uh, man, he's he's got some speed. Got great vision. I, I'm impressed. Hey, it's just like a, a bowling ball, but with speed. Basically, yeah. he's very right. very low to the ground. Yeah, he's actually on track to beat Bo's freshman. Record, I guess, and that that's impressive considering yeah. that most of the yards just been coming from Cam Newton this year. Yeah, I know. That I just, think. I mean, that just goes to show you how impressive this offense is. Yeah, no, that's 
Gus Malzahn, fantastic. I wish he'd stay. Cause yeah. I, lo- I love watching the new Auburn era. Well, well, we'll talk a little bit about Gus Malzahn's uh, prospects for later employment a little bit later on in the show, but uh, Michael Dyer, obviously, very impressive game. Just seems to get better as the game goes on. Runs harder, runs faster. I watched some of the highlights from this game, and he's fighting for those yards. Oh, yeah. He's really, uh, really churning it out. And let's not forget Ontario McCaleb either. He provides a great counterpoint to Cam Newton or Mike Dyer running up the middle. Uh, Ontario able to get outside on at least one run a game, it seems yeah. like, taking it to the house now. So just a great combination of, uh, of running a- attacks for Auburn at this point in the season. So... Uh, a completely dominating offensive performance. I think uh, what one punt in the entire game. Is yeah, that right? That's and yeah, that's uh, right. basically scoring on every other possession. <laughs> so offense looking good. All Miss was not able to do much there. Defense uh, pretty impressive outing in this game too. I'd say. Yeah, they've they've definitely improved. It seems like every game. I think mainly just experience from the younger guys, and I guess just the older guys. You know, the leadership stepping up, um, and just. Playing to their potential, you got Nick Fairley dominating, Zach Clayton. He's playing very well. Mike Blanc coming in, playing about just as well as Zach Clayton. Seems like Nose is finally getting to his own. You know, becoming the new the new starter defensive end over Goggins, Carter. He's, he's you know holding some defensive line doing great. Uh, credit Tracy Rocker. You know, um, so of course Bates is still out with a shoulder injury so not sure when he's, he'll be back but we're kind of hearing what maybe Georgia yeah I've heard different things maybe even past that but yeah. his replacements uh, seem yeah. to fill in pretty well yeah Evans and Freeman doing really well in his place um, but still Josh Bynes that fourth and one QB sneak the jump stop, over the line yeah, yeah. That, was, that was impressive apparently that was uh, a called play too they, yeah. they knew that they were going to try to do that but Still pretty impressive, oh, yeah. nonetheless. Yeah. Even secondary is, seemed like doing really well, aside from the perfect pass and catch you know, in the first quarter over DeMond. But still, he came back, returned it for a touchdown on special teams, which I guess we'll get to that in a second, then plus getting the interception on the two-yard line. So Yeah, very impressive. Defense, very improvement all around, I believe. Um, I think it's also we're matching up better with teams than we'd say do with Arkansas. Yeah, I, I agree. And Ole Miss, like we said, this is a huge game for them. They basically threw out what they've been doing on offense all year and morphed to kind of a wildcat offense based on uh, what Jeremiah Masoli was doing, trying to take advantage of some of Auburn's weaknesses with the, the screen passes, just like all the other teams have done. So Auburn had to make some relatively quick adjustments with that. I think they did a pretty good job. I mean, we all saw what happened on the second play of the game. Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it's busted play, those sort of things happen, but the key is how the team responded. Uh, the offense obviously went down the field and answered, and the defense was able to lock it down pretty well after that. And I, I was pretty impressed with the way they handled Jeremiah Masoli. Uh, he's a pretty, pretty talented runner, wasn't able to beat Auburn too much in that way, and uh, frankly, Auburn's defense was able to force a lot of bad passes out of him too. Yeah, I believe what Masoli only had... What, less than 200 yards passing, yeah, maybe 45 yards rushing, but still keeping him in containment like that—that's uh, that's just impressive. Yeah, I think I think they did a real good job of uh, <laughs> of planning for that. Uh, got got some playing time for the reserves. Those uh, two touchdowns late in the game 
came against some of the Auburn's reserve players, especially the last touchdown came against a bunch of true freshmen. Kind of hard to take anything out of their performance so far, but uh, I, I thought they looked about as good as they could as far as the reserves go. Yeah, it was, it was good getting them experience, especially on the road against the SEC team. Um, but still, I, I, the inter, I guess the possible interception by Meet uh, McNeil, oh, man. I yeah, wish I wish he would right have had there. that. It was hit him right right in the face. Yeah. But still, I and mean, you know they gave they gave up a score, but that's all right. So. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that interception would have taken away the last <laughs> touchdown, but yeah, doesn't really matter when, when it comes played, down to well. it. played well. You know, Jessel Curry, but uh, Holland playing well, a linebacker. Of course, we see Whitaker and Carter in at a uh, defensive tackle throughout the game in the rotation. So. Um, I'm, I'm liking this, getting getting the young guys' experience. Yeah, I, I think that's been a priority. And uh, as these games come down the stretch here, that little bit of extra rest time for the starters, I think that's really going to pay off. Uh, we've already seen it paying off compared to last year when those guys were just in there for every snap. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the special teams. <laughs> Obviously, DeMond had a huge game. Uh, pretty much every kickoff, it seemed like he was ready to break it. The first kickoff in the game... Should have been a touchdown. Uh, DeMond just tripped. He only had one guy to beat. Uh, that, that probably should have been a touchdown. There were a couple others that way. And then, of course, he finally did end up taking one to the house. Uh, that, that's about as impressive a kickoff return performance throughout a whole game as I've ever seen. Yeah, it was very good. I mean, either DeMond or McCaleb, I mean, pick your poison, really. Yeah. I mean, you could just, you know, just kick it out of bounds. We'll put it on the 40, but, you know, we'll probably, we'll probably bound to get to the 40 anyway. So, right. I mean, what's... I'm very, I'm very impressed with Coach Bill Ware, what he's done with special teams, especially with the improvement and just depth. So we're not having to play walk-ons as gunners or blockers and all that stuff. I'm, but still, DeMond, McCaleb, definitely coming to their own for kick returns. Yeah, guys a lot of speed, and they're getting some nice blocks to spring them. You mentioned the coverage, once again, very good in this game. Uh, I don't think that Ole Miss was able to get more than – 10 or 15 yards on any return, whether it was a, a kickoff or the, the single punt in this game. Just not much there to be had. Demetrius McNeil may be a little upset about dropping that interception, but he should still be pretty proud of himself for making all those tackles on special teams. He, oh, yeah, he and Sanders and Eric Smith. And yeah, they've just been Blake. a force this oh, yeah. year. And that, that's probably been one of the biggest visible differences on this team this year. And, of course, uh, Wes Byram, still Mr. Reliable, Made a couple pretty difficult field goals in this game. Uh, three, if I remember correctly. One of them, uh, season-long, 48 yards. Uh, again, I think a lot of people take Wes Byron for granted sometimes, but very solid in this game and uh, just seems to get better and better as the season goes on. Yeah, he's, he's very impressive. I wish he could stay around longer, but, you know, I guess he's got to graduate eventually. Yeah, and, and the kickoffs in this game, too. We had a couple of them that actually yeah. went into the end zone, I think. Yeah, I'm so. not exactly sure who always. I don't know if they're rotating uh, Wes and Cody. Um, yeah, I know that they both played, but I'm not sure who kicked what. You know? It's kind of hard to tell. It's not a definable pattern, yeah. it seems like. It's not like they're switching back and forth on each kickoff. I don't know if it has to do with how recently – Byram has kicked a field goal or, or something like that. I don't know. There may not be any rhyme or reason to it. But regardless, I, I think both of them kicked at least one into the end yeah. zone. So very solid performance there. Let's talk about some of the intangible things in this game that we were a little bit worried about. 
first of all, the number one ranking, a little bit worried about that, but um, that turned out to not be too much of an issue. A lot of talk made about Ole Miss uh, bringing out some new uniforms, bringing in temporary seating for all this. Uh, you know, we, we've been talking about this being the biggest game of their season. They brought out all the gimmicks, but none of them worked. Yeah, I'm, it, it's, it's Ole Miss. They're not doing too well this year. Um, at least they tried. I'm, yeah. You know, but worth a shot. Try to knock off number one team. Bunch of hype coming in. Um, I wish I actually could have gone to the game. I know you did. Um, I guess you can speak better on the behalf of, I guess, their fan base, what it was kind of like. But uh, it was from 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 my from my couch. It was a very good game. Yeah, it's an excellent game, and the the atmosphere very interesting in Oxford. Uh, obviously, the Grove, a pretty impressive site, but they they almost seemed resigned to the fact that they were going to lose this game before it even started. The the students and the rest of the fans made very little noise when Auburn had the ball. In fact, uh, the the Auburn fans that were there, which probably accounted for at least a quarter of the stadium, I, I've heard figures of like ten to 15,000 Auburn fans making that trip, which Damn. is really incredible. But uh, the Auburn fans made a lot more noise, I thought, than the Ole Miss fans did. And really the Ole Miss people started leaving uh, in the third quarter just about after we scored our first touchdown. So 12 or 13 minutes left in the third quarter, the students are pretty much gone. Yeah. Then the rest of the fans start leaving. It's, it was very, uh, very depressing almost. I don't know if I would even call the Ole Miss people fans as as much as observers or participants or something. Because uh, we walked back through the Grove after the game, and they're all blasting their music and partying and having a good time, like they didn't even lose. So, and we even had one guy come up to us after the game and tell us that they may have lost the game, but that they ain't never lost a party. So wow. if that's if that's how you um, want to go, then go for it. It, it I was guess. Halloween night or Halloween Eve night, whatever you want to yeah. call it. But so party weekend, I guess. But you know, if they're losing the game, they can go dress up, uh, go have some fun. So yeah, I, I mean, I guess that just shows you the difference between a, a school like Ole Miss and a school like Auburn. I, I'll gladly take our mindset. I'd much rather win the games, and I think the football should be the. The oh, central yeah. thing, but uh, and one final note on the uniforms too. I saw somebody say this this week. I thought it was kind of amusing uh, that obviously Houston Nut must not be a real big Civil War history buff <laughs> with the uh, the gray uniforms against Auburn's blue uniforms. It really didn't work out too well. So maybe they can learn a lesson on that for next time. But anyways, uh, pretty impressive victory over Ole Miss. Finally, Auburn able to go on the road and win a game by much more than three points, uh, yep. proving a lot of the critics wrong that Auburn had a lot of trouble on the road this year. So a nice test passed by Auburn here. Get what a bounce basically to a bye week this week. You never want to overlook an opponent, but Chattanooga is not a good team. Yeah, so, it's, it's like high school plus maybe. Yeah, they, they lost to a school called Elon last week in wow. North Carolina. So uh, that, you know, obviously most Auburn fans not too worried, expecting to get to 10-0 and this week. And then, of course, you have uh, what Pat Dye always called Amen Corner coming at us. Georgia here at home, then over to Alabama. We'll, we'll talk about those games here in the upcoming week. Just a couple of notes to mention about Chattanooga here. Uh, they like to play fast. It'll be interesting to see 
the tempo of the game that Chattanooga wants to maintain here, see if they want to try to speed the offense up on us. I'm sure they'll try to do the screen passes, all that stuff that Auburn's been very weak at, but I don't know. I, I think the more important question about this game is what are the coaches going to do with Cam Newton? Is yeah. it going to be like ULM where he doesn't run? Do they try to help him pad his Heisman stats a little bit? I don't know. What do you think they're going to do here? Uh, I bet it'll be just like ULM. Maybe have a design run like once or twice just to see what happens. Um, but, you know, it'll be the same game plan as ULM. Probably the same exact score, basically. Yeah. You know, that's there's not much else to say about that. Yeah, so. I, you know, I don't think this is going to be a shutout or anything. No. I, I don't think Auburn can do that. Especially with the reserves that they're going to want to play in this game, but yeah. well, even the reserves against ULM, only oh, gave up what three points. Yeah, the reserves did very did well. Anything? So I, I don't know. Maybe even Chattanooga scores a few more points than ULM did, but this is going to be a pretty boring game, and, yeah. and that's that's the way <coughs> Auburn wants it. So nice to have yeah. a little break here before Georgia. You have to imagine they're probably starting to prep a little bit for Georgia this week already, but. Uh, we expect a big win for Auburn here this week. But now we want to do something a little bit different here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the BCS standings. As much as we've said they don't matter at this point in the season, and they really don't. And I've basically made a resolution to myself that I'm not going to watch the Sunday night BCS selection show anymore just because it makes <laughs> me angry about all these idiots talking on there. But we'll be like the idiots right now, right. and we'll talk about this stuff and do a better job than they do and put on our <laughs> orange and blue colored glasses. But anyway, let, let's ask a couple of questions here. The first question being, does it really matter if we're number one or number two in the BCS? Obviously, Auburn last week uh, ranked number one in the initial BCS rankings that came out. And then this week, Things changed. Auburn drops to number two, even though they had an impressive victory. A lot of Auburn people upset about that. Does that matter? Um, I really don't think so. Right? If you're wanting to, if you went out, that's how it's going to be. Right. It's just like back in 04. USC and Oklahoma were one and two the whole season. They won out. They went. You know, that'll be exactly how, what happens this year. Um, and I don't see no one's going to jump us as long as we keep winning. As long as Oregon keeps winning. Um, I guess the one thing about being number one compared to number two is maybe your target isn't as big because, yeah. you know, seeing that number one next to your name for the opposing team is like, oh, man, they're coming and trying to – let's take them down. And then you have to see number two, like, eh, they're not number one, but they're still good. So I'm, I think the, the lower target – plus you don't get as much, I guess, media attention. Right. Because right? I guess the week – I guess two weeks ago, prior to Ole Miss – Actually, yeah, prior to Ole Miss that week, it was like all Auburn, all on TV. Now this week, it's kind of definitely more Oregon. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, that's an interesting point that you bring up. I think the psychological perspective is different. I mean, there's a big difference between being number one and number two. And I think that can only help this Auburn team to know that they're still not there yet. They still yeah. haven't arrived. There's still a, a lot of people picking against them. A lot of people are picking Alabama still to go to the national championship, and we'll talk about that here in a second. 75% of everybody. Yeah, a lot of people still don't really believe in this Auburn team, don't believe in the the defense, especially if you listen to Jesse Palmer on the the BCS show. You would think that Auburn is the the worst team in the history of uh, the planet that is in the top ten. So still a lot of skeptics out there. 
I, I agree with you. I don't think the number one or number two really matters that much. The reason it happened, uh, three components basically to the BCS rankings. Uh, the coaches poll is one component, the Harris poll is the other component, and then the computer rankings. And Auburn, number one in the computers, as they probably should be. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the body of work to this point, Auburn's definitely the most impressive. Four wins over ranked teams compared to Oregon, who I believe has uh, one or two. Yeah, one or two. So not not as impressive there. So Auburn, number one in the computers, but number two in both of the polls that count. Auburn's still number three in the AP poll, which I do sort of have an issue with that. I, yeah, I, that's just – I'm glad that doesn't count. Yeah, I mean, Boise that's State just, above Auburn in that poll, I, I think that – that's, uh, that's pretty ridiculous, and we'll talk about that here in a second, too. But Oregon, number one in the two polls, so basically they're number one in two-thirds of it, and we're only number one in one-third of it. So that's yeah. that's why Oregon's ahead of us. Not much of a spread there at all. Pretty big gap growing between the top two teams, Oregon and Auburn, and the rest of the teams. And like you said, if we went out, I would expect us to be number one uh, at that point. Beating Alabama, I think that would give us a big enough jump to uh, and winning the SEC championship too, I, I think that would give us a big enough jump in the polls, possibly to be number one. I don't know. We'd have to see how the polls would do, do with that, because obviously there's there's no room to move up in the computers. Yeah, at I, this point. Yeah, I, I agree with that. If we went out, we'll be number one eventually, because beating what, five top twenty five teams, you know, that pretty much that's hard to argue yeah. with. And, and if you beat last year's national champion too, I, I think. Oh yeah, that's. It, Perspective-wise, that's... Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. And I think that might be finally the thing that would propel the human voters to move Auburn above Oregon. Yeah. Obviously, it still doesn't really matter, but, you know, if you want to have a bone to pick with the <laughs> the people who vote, I think that would be the time to do it if Auburn wins out and uh, they don't move up to number one. That's probably a legitimate yeah. complaint then. But So, number one and number two, we've decided that doesn't really matter. But let's join in this debate here of... The BCS teams versus the non-automatic qualifier teams, as they're called. Boise, TCU, Utah, all those. We talked about Boise being ranked above Auburn in the AP poll. A lot of people giving a lot of love to Boise State especially, saying that they could beat anybody, anytime on a neutral field, and especially going to the lengths of saying that strength, the strength of schedule doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, that's, y- your thoughts on this? That, that, is, that is just blows my mind. Um, seriously. Um, they keep saying SEC, so dominant. Strength of schedule is ridiculous. But now apparently SEC is having a down year because the, SC, the, the East is definitely not what it is. But then look at the West. I mean, Absolutely. I think the combined record is, there's only what, three, excluding Ole Miss, there's only, what, four losses yeah. among the five teams. Uh, two at two Mississippi State, one at LSU, one at Alabama, one at Auburn. I guess one at Arkansas as well, or two at Arkansas. Right. So, still, that's very impressive. But still, I the strength of schedule for Boise State is – that argument is, is just so invalid, I, yeah. I believe. Uh, you're playing La Tech. Uh, in Hawaii, they're decent. Nevada, they're decent. Yeah, you played a, a Virginia Tech team who's in probably by far the worst ACC I've seen in the last decade. Uh, and who, they also lost to James Madison. Uh, that's, that's just inexcusable. Uh, yeah. They also play Oregon State. Uh, they're mid, mid-range Pac-10 team, but what else can you really say? 
it, it's it's just it, like you said, it blows your mind. And the same people that are saying now that the strength of schedule doesn't matter are the ones who, in 2004, said that Auburn did not deserve to get in yeah. because they played the Citadel. Same argument. Strength of schedule wasn't good enough for Auburn to get in, but now the strength of schedule doesn't matter. And you know what? I got news for these guys. Maybe Boise State could go in and beat any team, any time on a neutral field, but we don't know that because they yeah. haven't proved it to us. <laughs> and, okay, great, you beat Virginia Tech – Good job, but let's yeah. see you play somebody else. Let's see you not just go in and play anybody, anytime, but let's see you do it every week. Yeah, That's when it really gets tough. The cumulative effect of playing these teams every week, uh, the physicality of those games, the psychological challenges of getting up for these huge games each week, they would, they would not be prepared for that. And maybe they would be able to prove themselves eventually, but I think right now, if you put them in the SEC, you're looking at at least two losses for them. Yeah. Guaranteed. Just because they're not <laughs> used to playing in that type of atmosphere, and it's just unfair to compare teams like that who don't have to go through that every week to a team like Auburn who is by far playing one of the toughest schedules of the teams there at the top and uh, not seemingly getting any credit for it. Yeah. So that's it blows my mind, but I think, I guess that's the whole ESPN agenda. You know, try, they're yeah. trying to push Boise. You know, hopefully they'll get in, and then maybe they'll either amaze us by winning, and of course we'll be going through this every year from years on out if that happened. If they lose, then we'd be like, you know what, they lost. We, they gave them a chance. All right, we'll quit talking about Boise now. Right. So I mean, that, that's kind of a high risk, high reward, I guess, going it that way. But I think that agenda. Or of ESPNs and the media trying to push them up. That's just, it just blows my mind. It's so contradictory from what, five years ago. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are going to take this as uh, an argument for a playoff or a plus one or something, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, not, I'm still not sure about all that. Boise State has the solution to this in their hands. People argue that they can't do anything about it. It's not their fault that they don't play anybody. In my opinion, that's bull. They can make a change here if they want. If another conference doesn't want to accept them, go ahead. Become independent. Schedule some real teams. If you oh, want to yeah. be a serious player, do that. You know, There's yeah. nothing stopping you. We saw BYU trying to go that route. Kudos to them. They figured out that no matter how good they do, it's not going to matter. And granted, BYU in a different place. They're not as good of a team. But Boise State, if you want to be a true national championship contender, in my opinion... You need to go out there, shed your conference affiliation with the whack, which yeah. is just whack, in my <laughs> opinion, and play some real teams. You can do it. Schedule Auburn. Schedule some real teams. Yeah. And, and then you have an argument, but not until then. Yeah. Uh, even with all this restructuring of the, the major conferences, like Utah and Colorado going to the Pac-10, there's a chance for Utah, you know. Right. Uh, they they've taken the next step, really. Right. Uh, even with the Big Ten, the Big Twelve that lost two teams, why can't the Big Twelve take in TCU from Texas and then Boise State? Even though it's kind of farther up north, but still, I and mean, uh, that's I think that's that's reasonable. So then you have a uh, twelve teams in the Big Twelve, twelve teams in the Pac Ten slash twelve, twelve teams in the Big Ten slash new 12 or whatever and of course 12 teams in SEC 
12 in the ACC. And the Big East, well, you're not sure what's going to go on there, but still. Uh, that, that, if you do that, that pretty much solves everything. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense from a football <coughs> perspective. Uh, of course, the reason I've heard that these things don't want to happen, it's all based on the money. They worry that schools yeah. like TCU and Boise are not big enough, especially that they don't have a big enough alumni base to create enough money to make it worth taking them in. But I, I honestly am not sure about the validity of those arguments. If a team's good enough, they're going to make you money. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I think it would go a long way for these programs to get into a real conference and play some real teams. But for these commentators to argue that strength of schedule doesn't matter is simply ridiculous. Yeah. I, I just Every time they start talking about that, I just put the TV on mute yeah. until they talk about either us or something else more worthwhile. So, but the good news is Auburn not in the position they were in in 2004. It really doesn't matter what happens with these teams because they're not going to jump Auburn if Auburn wins. Oh, yeah. Auburn has its destiny in its own hands, which is huge. I mean, this might be the first time ever in Auburn's history that they have the chance to win a national championship completely in their own hands. Yeah. All right. Both, yeah. Auburn and Oregon have their control their destiny. Uh, and everybody else basically has to have help from someone else. Yeah. So uh, that's a perfect world. That'd be great to see Auburn and Oregon go to the national championship all by them, all by themselves. Yeah, I mean, that'd be a great game. You mentioned other teams needing help to get there. One of those teams is Alabama. Who, If you listen to the people on TV, everybody still thinks Alabama's going to the national championship. Everybody thinks they're going to beat Auburn. Obviously, that's a topic for us in a few weeks. We'll yep. figure out what's going to happen in that game. But for right now, out of the teams with one loss, I would say Alabama is probably the best team Yeah, that, I mean, that has one loss. Yeah, I mean, they are the, the highest-rated one-loss one team. I mean, they lost to probably the SEC, the eventual SEC East winner right? in South Carolina um, on the road. So, they're, I think, yeah, they are by far the best one-loss team. Um but still, then that goes into the argument. If they went out, do they jump undefeated TCU, Boise, Utah? You know, right. That that's a whole nother can of worms there. Which and I think they probably would. Oh yeah, uh, just because the computer rankings would probably put them number one after that, and then of course, you know, the media love with Alabama. Right. They'd stick them in the top, probably two or three in the polls. Yeah. So, well, um, I, I think that. It would really help Alabama for Auburn to play them undefeated and yeah. number one or number two. And if Alabama were to win that game, I think they'd get a huge boost out of that. There are some other one-loss teams to look at, of course. Nebraska still looking pretty good. Oklahoma still looking pretty good. Yeah. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Uh, they're kind of moving up here. And the key with all these teams is you got to lose early if you're going to lose. Now, I mean, you talk about uh, – if Auburn loses to Alabama, then then there's no way to get in. Number one, because you'll have lost head-to-head with Alabama, who lost yeah. early, and then Auburn's loss comes late. So that's just the way the system works. It's kind of unfortunate, but you know that going in. So obviously that's a big game. But what, what about LSU? I mean, they, they got a chance to. We'll talk about the LSU-Alabama game this weekend, uh, a little bit later in the show. If LSU can win that game, I think they probably put themselves right up there in the championship discussion too, but it's a little bit harder probably to jump a number one or a one-loss LSU team above those undefeated teams like Boise State. 
Yeah, I, that may come into consideration, but I mean, if they say if LSU does one out in the SEC, then that comes to the same argument of, you know, do they jump the undefeateds? Um, but um, they did they did lose to, let's say, Auburn, who was, what, number two at the time or whatever it was, right. number three. So that definitely was a good good loss for them, plus on the road. Um, but they, uh, they'd have to get help from Auburn. Auburn would have to lose right. two games because right. of the head-to-head, which probably won't happen. Yeah, I don't see that happening. So, LSU, they, ha- they have to have some help from us. Probably with some help from maybe, say, Nebraska, Wisconsin, losing one more time to really uh, get catapult them up. Or maybe Oregon losing, too. That opens yeah. up a lot of different possibilities. So. Still a little bit early to start making all these projections, but the key thing we mentioned, Oregon and Auburn control their destinies in their own hands. It's pretty unusual here in the BCS era. So if you see those teams win out, we know what we're going to be looking at. So strength of schedule does matter. We've established that very firmly here. But thankfully, Oregon and Auburn can do what they want to do uh, if they can just win out. So... That's our BCS discussion here for the week. We'll probably revisit this at some point, see uh, in a couple weeks after things have shaken out a little bit. But right now we have uh, some crazy news stories for you, as always. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back here with the crazy news. Back in here to the water cooler. As always, got the crazy news ready for you here. All of the craziest things that people across the world have done this week. Let's start out with a food-related story here. This is coming to us from Memphis, Tennessee, not far from Oxford, where I was this week. Uh, Students at Memphis City Schools are complaining about a lack of something that, uh, you know, we normally sort of take for granted. There is no ketchup and no mustard available to these students in the lunchroom. Uh, it's, it's kind of unusual. It's not just that there is a, a shortage of these things. Don't worry. If you go to your local grocery store, you're still going to be able to buy ketchup and mustard. It's still going to be there. You're still going to be able to swirl it together and make that nasty white concoction that people used to do all the time. That, yeah, orange. That grossed me out. Yeah. Whatever. That's whatever. That's gross. But anyways... Uh, the head of food services for the Memphis City School says that they have plenty of bulk condiments, which I guess means they roll in 55-gallon drums of ketchup and mustard just in there. <laughs> but the problem is they don't have enough cafeteria workers to squirt them into the little plastic cups. That is the reason there is no ketchup what? and mustard available. So uh, they're asking for individual packs uh the school board approved $77,000 to buy individual-sized packs of condiments when they have these huge bulk portions back there. They just don't have anybody to put the condiments into little plastic cups. Just I, I hear people talking about ridiculous. food. I had to come out here. Uh, Nick Cox, ladies and gentlemen, this is absurd. <laughs> 
There's no condiments. How are you supposed to eat food without adding that extra taste and those extra calories? You're a man that loves condiments. Dude, I know, I, I know a too. thing or two about condiments. Um, but I also know a whole lot about cost reduction. And <laughs> there's a problem here. They don't have the resources available to provide the condiments for the children. But you know what? I kind of think that, that kids these days have too many luxuries with their iPhones and their Tamagotchis. Like the last thing they need is another, another luxury <laughs> of ketchup and mustard on their French fries. I was like, you know, back when I was young, we had to walk uphill both ways in the snow to school, and of course we didn't have ketchup. I mean, I I don't know. I I remember the ketchup and mustard for a while, but I I remember a defined shift in my school career. At one point, I think it was in like seventh grade, they began to charge you if you wanted more than one pack. Of ketchup or mustard. Yeah, to school. You had to pay ten cents. This is Decatur. Yeah, uh, you, you had to pay ten cents extra for each packet you wanted, which I thought was ridiculous. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I guess that was their way to deal with this here, but I, I just you know like why can't the students just take the food back there and dip it in the big, yeah. the big drum? Do you know what the problem is? What do we know? Is this elementary school or high school? Or I, I think it's all of them. It's all, all of them? the schools. Yeah. Because I don't know about high school so much. I think we might have matured a little bit, but I know definitely middle school. We would we would take stuff and we would play with our food. It was like the time when mom wasn't there to, to stop us. It was like one of the craziest things we ever did, which is really gross. If you ever want to try this, you get to, you take a straw, right? And you can like smash it down on your your peas, and then your French fries, and then your carrots, and then the straw like backs up with all these different colors. Oh. It's like a rainbow of foods. And then you like try to get somebody to eat it. There's always that one guy. Oh, yeah, he's like squirting ketchup in his that milk was, and stuff. So, that's this, guy. so this is why they naked. charge you for ketchup is because they don't want to put they don't want you putting ketchup in your your little milk carton. That's it's gross. It's yeah. kind of like tucking in your shirt too. It's just ridiculous. Stupid. <laughs> well, I, I think if you needed any more proof. That uh, America is just going down the dumpster. This is it right here. The students can't even get ketchup and mustard anymore. What What is America coming to? Really? Yeah. It's so, the end. It's the beginning of the end here. I mean, we can only hope that our new, uh, our new elected Congress can take care of this. This is problem number one right here. Getting every student <laughs> ketchup and mustard. Our, our bland foods are taking away the creativity. Absolutely. Of our kids. I mean, yeah. we're creating mindless automatons here. That's that's all we're doing. So. Anyways, that's that's our first story here. We got another good one for you here. Does it uh, deal with food? This does not deal All with right, food. All right, I might be back later. So, uh, second story. This is coming to us out of Maryland. Halloween-related story for us. Obviously, a lot of stupid stuff happens on Halloween. But uh, this, this might be the most interesting one I've seen so far. Maryland State Police said a uh, drunken 47-year-old man from Florida was walking around a neighborhood wearing a diaper on uh, Halloween night, and he was arrested for shouting profanities while attempting to trick-or-treat <laughs> because apparently none of the children or people at their houses would give this diaper-wearing man any candy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... You'd think they'd just give him candy so he'd go away. I know, but it's like you, you feed the troll, it just keeps coming back, you I know? know. I that's I'm surprised we didn't see that down here. Yeah, I mean, maybe, that, not, maybe not for a 47 year old, but you know, for a a college yeah, student. Yeah, it's, it's kind of reasonable. A drunk college kid in a diaper. But a 47 year old Florida man. I mean, and he's in Maryland. Uh, yeah, the first question is, how did he get all the way up to Maryland wearing just a diaper? That's uh, that's amazing. 
But uh, the, the the real thing with this, there's really not a whole lot else we need to say, I guess. You just get that mental picture and that, uh, that one guy. Let's hope he wasn't grossly obese and oh, yeah. full we, of hair. We can only imagine. I, there's no picture, but it doesn't matter because you're on the radio anyway, so you wouldn't be able to see it. So yeah. maybe you can just imagine uh, what this guy might look like. So Maybe like a, the guy from Andy Griffith, the Otis, the town drunk. Maybe pretend him in a diaper. Yeah, there you that's, go. That's that's kind of mental, mental, the mental picture I'm seeing. And Nick Cox, he might be another good, good model for this. So, anyways, most interesting Halloween story we could find, I guess. Oh well, I don't know. This this one might give uh, a run for its money. I don't know if this is actually on Halloween or not, but this is coming to us out of Connecticut. I don't know if you've seen before these real-life superheroes. Are you familiar with these people? No idea. Who dress up as superheroes (laughs) and, like, try to be vigilante justice, basically going around dressed up in your superhero costumes. I don't know. Seems kind of stupid to me. I've seen that in the movies, but, you know. Yeah, apparently it happens in real life, too. Oh, alright. So, uh, I don't know. But anyway, in Connecticut, uh, a bunch of these real-life superheroes... Namely, Spider-Man, Captain America, and Poison Ivy were arrested for assault charges and or breach of the peace after they got into a fight in a parking garage. So apparently they are arguing about who got to take down the next criminal or whose spandex looked the best or or something of that nature. And uh, these 20-somethings were arrested early Sunday morning... Uh, for brawling in a parking lot and while dressed up as superheroes. Pretty embarrassing. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, I wouldn't really consider Poison Ivy a superhero. She's actually a villain. Well, I mean, uh, didn't she sort of turn good at the end? I, I don't really remember the plot. I don't know. I, I kind of forgot that Batman movie because it was so terrible. Yeah, that was a pretty bad one. I think that was, that was by far the worst one of the four. Well, but still, th- Spider-Man, Captain America... Go to them, but, you know, leave, leave it to the real guys, I guess. But maybe they were actually trying to take down Poison Ivy, and she sprayed her little Poison Ivy gas on oh, them, yeah. and then they got confused and fought each other. Might have happened. I don't know. You never know. I mean, these are superheroes we're talking about. They wouldn't do that on purpose. Uh, I wish I would have picked a better location than a parking garage, like, on top of a building or something. Yeah, really, I mean, like, hanging on to a flagpole, you know, beating <laughs> yeah. the crap out of each other. I don't know. Apparently, they don't have any attorneys, but... Uh, one can only hope that the superheroes union will be able to uh, to provide the, for them here. The Legion so, of Doom. That's right. Or super friends, whatever you want to call it. Maybe uh, I don't know. <laughs> Clark Kent. What was he? Uh, he wasn't a lawyer normally, right? He was. A, no, he was like a newspaper. A guy. Newspaper. They, person. All, they all end up being newspaper guys or something. Yeah. Like so that. I guess his uh, alternate persona not gonna be able to help them out yeah. here. But anyway, I guess Bruce Wayne. He'd be the only one because he has money. That's true. Bruce Wayne could probably uh, probably take care of this, but. <laughs> He would never do this. Yeah. He's too busy in the bat cave. Doing bat doing stuff. Bat stuff, that's right. So superheroes acting pretty stupid. Uh we got another story out of Connecticut here. We've heard of these I guess you call them sibling fights. That happens a lot in Alabama, Mississippi. We we hear about that stuff all the time in the trailer park. But not not so common in Connecticut, I guess. Uh, 
these 54 and 53 year old brothers, John and <laughs> Irving Lasseter, 53 and 54, pretty old. Wow. Uh, they were arguing with each other, and then one of them pulls out a BB gun and shoots the other guy in the chest a couple times. And then when the BB gun gets jammed, swings a sword at his brother. What? <laughs> and his brother responds by hitting him with a chair. So both of these guys facing assault charges. Um, Too much Jerry Springer. I, I guess, I don't know. I mean, just the variety of weapons at play here. BB gun, first of all, that's just kind of like, are you serious? What are you doing here? Yeah. You know what I'm thinking? They're trying to get a reality TV show contract. Yeah. I, I mean, would watch that. I, I would probably watch <laughs> people fighting with household weapons, too. But a sword, that's kind of legit. Yeah, that can do some damage. Why yeah. do you have a sword? I don't know. A lot of people have swords. I don't know if you're aware of this, but people buy these things. They collect them. I don't know. I mean, the gas station across the street from where my sister lives, I went stopped in there this weekend, they sell a very large collection of knives and swords in the gas station. That's how things roll in Mississippi, I guess. But you, you would never expect that in you Connecticut. This, this happened in Connecticut? Yeah, you're going there next week, Dude, right? Yeah, I'm starting to get scared about Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> I got a, an interview up there, and I've never been up there. Well, first of all, you got to watch out for the superheroes. Yeah, I heard about that. And then you got to watch out for this BB gun sword guy. I'm thinking they might cancel out, actually. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. To, to take care of the BB gun that's sword. That's true. That's true. Brother. But watch out for the guy with the chair. He always sneaks up on you. So... It's like the cheap shot in the wrestling ring or something. Yeah. I mean, he got like, and like a child's toy with the BB gun, and then he got a samurai sword. I'm only assuming it's a samurai sword because those are awesome. Yeah. yeah. Good kind of swords. Yeah. And then, then a chair. Kind of. Mix it, mix it, mix it in. Wait, so the, childhood, the guy, Asian, and. The guy who had the sword was also the same guy with the BB gun? It was. Yeah, same guy. Because I saw a YouTube video, actually. You can look this up. Uh, this guy gets shot at with a BB gun, and he has a samurai sword. Cuts the BB in half out of the air. I kid you not. They did it with a fast camera. That's amazing. That's how it works. I was way more excited about that than you guys were. Yeah. Well, I was still just <laughs> thinking about getting shot in the chest with a BB gun and trying to figure out how bad that would hurt. That's why you have the samurai sword to yeah. shoot you. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Anyways. Right. This probably did some damage because they're kind of old. Yeah, it's true. Kind of old guys. Uh, more damaging to pride than anything, yeah. but that's not uncommon. So. Um, do they live together? Probably, and that, that's the first problem. Like in their mom's basement? Yeah, that, that's probably the first issue, is that they're living together yeah. in a trailer, so... You know, what, what do you expect's gonna happen in that case? You, you just gotta expect that sort of thing. So. <coughs> Anyways, we got one more story here. This is coming to us, uh, our international story for the week. Uh, the British town of Staines, S-T-A-I-N-E-S... <laughs> Sandwiched <laughs> between an airport and an industrial park, uh, it's been subject to constant ridicule for their unfortunate-sounding name. Business leaders in the community are hoping that a name change might dispel its gritty image. Uh, <laughs> but apparently... The critics say that the new rebranding effort would be really expensive... And that the new name, Stains Upon Thames, also sounds ridiculous. What? Yeah. That's their fix? They're, that's, they're, that's worse than the original. Yeah, they're just going to... Uh, they have a habit of doing this over there. They have the name of a city and then upon, like, the name of a river or something. The Thames River, I guess. 
But the, you haven't solved the problem. The word Staines is still in your city name. <laughs> now we're trying to figure out what Tim's is. Uh, that's where Staines is. <laughs> don't want to go swimming there. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. It, the business leaders say that underlining the town's location along the Thames River can only encourage businesses, but the title of the article really says it all. Embarrassing Stains, UK Town, Mull's name change. I mean... What if our apartment complex was called Stains? <laughs> uh, just living in, in a stain, you know? That's, that's unfortunate, but... Uh, you know, I, I don't know. With unfortunate names for cities, I think Alabama probably still wins. We have some pretty bad ones. Dude, just think about, like, addressing that letter, sending it to me, Nicholas Cox and Staines, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, UK. Oh, man. That's terrible. Well, I, th- right. I think that's about all you can say about that. I don't know. Anyways. It, it could be worse, I guess. It could be worse. It's always worse. But it's hard to be much worse than yeah, Stains. Yeah. Like Tuscaloosa? Yeah, well, that that's definitely worse, but the people who decided to name the town Stains in the first place, probably just a, a practical joke, and then it's, uh, it's sort of stuck. It so. could be a family name. That'd be terrible. Yeah, that's true. I uh, My dad has a friend whose last name is Rump. His name is uh, Rick Rump. He went through his whole <laughs> wow. life with that name. And uh, finally convinced a woman to marry him when he was like 40 or something. He, he of course, maintained it wasn't because of his last name. But women think about that. You know, if you think that women don't sit around and think, what is my last name going to be if I marry this person? They do. I've heard, I've, I've heard <laughs> on the inside they think about that. You got inside? Well, people, I've heard things. So, <laughs> I don't really have inside knowledge. Do, uh, do women, do they fart? We're not sure about if women fart or not. It's still up for debate. But they probably do in the town of Staines. Sure. <laughs> I've just never been able to prove it. Yeah. Damn. It's sort of like if a tree falls in the forest and can you can you hear a woman fart? That's actually I, I don't <laughs> women don't really close their mouth long enough for the pressure to build up. Oh. Uh, excellent point. Excellent point. They're continually talking. They do that a lot. <laughs> but uh <laughs> did there. Reiterate that one. <laughs> Anyways. It's probably a good time for us to move on to the SEC games here before we get ourselves into too much trouble. That was the crazy news here this week. We'll be right back after the break. Not too many good SEC games, but there are two worth talking about. We'll recap those for you here right after this break. cooler time for us to discuss this weekend's sec action of course we're wondering if alabama's national championship hopes will die in our arms tonight Their against arms. LSU. Arms or whatever arms. try to make a joke with our intro yeah. song there anyways let's talk about the crappy games first florida playing at vanderbilt this weekend should be a nice tune-up for south carolina yep. next week uh, obviously florida probably wins that one pretty easily 
Georgia playing prestigious Idaho State in a homecoming matchup this weekend. Uh, Kentucky playing Charleston Southern in their homecoming game. Ole Miss notching a victory against Louisiana Lafayette in their homecoming game. And then, strangely, I thought this was a homecoming game at first, but Tennessee playing at Memphis this weekend. Kind of kind of strange. I guess maybe they're trying to start up a home-and-home home there. Uh, Memphis is terrible this year. Oh, yeah. They're like 1-7 and seven or something. So despite the fact that Tennessee is not that great, I think Tennessee probably wins that one pretty easily too. But seems to be homecoming weekend for uh, a lot of the SEC this weekend. So not too many great games to speak of. Mississippi State is off this weekend. Uh, tough for Mississippi State. They, uh, they lost one of their defensive linemen yesterday, Nick Bell. Uh, been battling with cancer passed away at UAB yesterday, so a, a tough sequence of events for them. Obviously, they don't have a game this weekend. Uh, we'll have a chance to collect their thoughts, but um, obviously it's just a terrible situation to, to think that something like that can happen so quickly. Nick Bell started against Auburn basically, what was that, two months ago? Yep. And uh, now... Uh, loses his battle with cancer, so it's just crazy to think that something like that can happen so quickly, but uh, our thoughts are with uh, Mississippi State and his family at this very difficult time for them, but let's uh, let's talk about the two big SEC games this weekend. We'll leave Alabama's game for last. Let's start with Arkansas traveling to Columbia, South Carolina to play Steve Spurrier's Gamecocks. This game doesn't really matter for the SEC East. Uh, USC can still lose this game, and then if they beat Florida next weekend, they lock up the, uh, the SEC East title. So not no implications for the West or the East race. Arkansas pretty much out of the running to win the West at this point, too. But still a really important game between two very equivalently ranked teams. I think Arkansas is either 18 or 19, and then USC is the other one. So yeah. between the 18 and 19 teams here... Uh, you wonder, first of all, if maybe South Carolina is looking ahead to the Florida game next week. They've got to travel down to the swamp. Uh, it's tough to gauge stuff like that, but what are, you, what are your thoughts on this game? Uh, oh, I, I still haven't decided who I want to pick to win yet. Uh, that's still, I haven't picked either of the SEC games yet. Just cause I'm undecided It's the last-minute right kind of guy today. Yeah, um, especially on those two games. Uh, these Pretty tough picks. Um, South Carolina, they had a maybe, I don't want to say a tough game against Tennessee this past weekend. Yeah, it's tougher than it should have been. Yeah, probably. I mean, it was actually pretty competitive until, what, midway through the fourth quarter yeah. when uh, Alshon Jeffrey caught a pass and, you know, ran for another 60 yards. But still, I'm mean, Tennessee, not too great. It was at home at South Carolina. I think South Carolina, they're still kind of in a lull from losing to Kentucky. Kind of not playing too well against Vandy the week after. Then they had Tennessee. You know, they played all right. You know, nothing too special. But um, I, I think the story for South Carolina is Marcus Lattimore. Uh, definitely probably one of the better backs in the SEC this year, um, especially for a true freshman. Uh, and it's amazing what he's doing right now. He, he is their running game. Right. Um, plus, Steven Garcia, he's seen to be playing a little better now. Um, I believe uh, South Carolina's defense – Kind of suspect. They, I believe they lost one of their starting quarterbacks, Culliver. I believe an I injury. Seen anything about or, that. I read something about that. Not exactly sure what's going on there, but 
So they, they lose possibly losing a key player in a secondary. And of course we all know Arkansas pass happy uh, and very prolific offense with Bobby Petrino at the helm running that. Um, also Ryan Mallett, he's back from his supposed concussion. Yeah, he had a big game last weekend, I think. Yeah. So. so he's back. Um, I think Arkansas's defense, not, you know, middle of the road, whatever. Um, I'm still not sure about this. Which way I want to pick, man. But I'm Arkansas, they did lose Greg Childs for the season. That's ACL, a big loss yeah, for them. The ACL injury, and also I read that Joe Adams, I guess their number two receiver, he has like a hamstring injury. So, their injury front for the wide receivers, Arkansas, uh, does that overcome, say, what USC's kind of lull right now, maybe? Um, hopefully, I mean, USC can come back after the win from Tennessee, build on that, and not look forward to Florida. I, mean, I don't know. It's just too many little intangible outside things right now, plus going on. Uh, I don't know. What, what do you think about this, to, so I can think about some more? All right. Well, my, my thoughts on this... I do think that losing Greg Childs is going to be a big loss for Arkansas, and if they are without Joe Adams, too, that's going to be tough. They do have a pretty good amount of depth at wide receiver, but you can't replace two guys like that, especially a big play receiver like Greg Childs, especially when uh, South Carolina has another big play receiver on their side, Alshon Jeffrey, who's, I think you can make a pretty strong argument, uh, the best receiver in the SEC yeah. this year. So, uh Marcus Lattimore, like you said, being back, that's huge. Arkansas had trouble defending our running game when we played them. I think that's going to be an issue for them in this game, too. You wonder, you know, like we mentioned about USC looking ahead and stuff, but I think the biggest thing for South Carolina this year has been that they've really played to the level of their competition. Yeah. Uh, against Alabama, they played a great game, kind of laid an egg against Kentucky, sort of did the same with Tennessee, but... I think they realize that Arkansas is a bigger game and they're going to play better in this game. I, I think that's uh, it's tough to directly correlate those sort of things, but that's what I expect out of them to have a much better game. I'm going to take South Carolina in this one because they're at home. Uh, I think Marcus Lattimore can get it done, and I think South Carolina's defense can stop Ryan Mallett just enough uh, to give South Carolina a chance to win this game. Yeah, I'm kind of thought about it. I think I'm still leaning. I'm going to lean towards towards South Carolina, just because the uncertainty at wide receiver with Greg Childs and Joe Adams. Um, they are without without them two. I um, I don't know what uh, how good the backups are. You know? Right. <clears throat> so I think that uncertainty is making me lean towards South Carolina. Plus, it's a home game. Like you said, I I do agree with the trend. USC plays to their competition. So. Yeah, Maybe another big game out of Ladmore. Right. Who knows? Yeah, this is a big, big stage for him. Uh, so you're going to take South Carolina in this one yeah, too. Yeah, I'll do it. All man. right, so we're both going to go the home team there. Let's talk about the other big game this weekend: Alabama traveling to Death Valley to take on LSU. Some of the stuff you read this week, you were telling me that possibly Alabama already starting to prepare for Auburn this week. Yeah. Uh, that obviously Alabama and LSU both off last week, getting two weeks to prepare for each other. Uh, maybe Alabama using some of that time to prepare for Auburn instead of LSU. Does that come back to bite them here? I, I, I'd like to think so. I'm, I'm, yeah, that is the rumor going around that Bama used their off week to prepare for Auburn. 
Uh, and plus, all the media hype with Bama right now being the best one-loss team and what happens if this happens and the BCS crap. Uh, and LSU's sitting back listening. Basically, no one's giving them a shot to win. Uh, and even reading, reading message boards, fans, of uh, no one's giving them a shot to win. Um, obviously, Auburn fans are hoping LSU wins just, you know, so we can have the – so Auburn can have the West clinched up with the win – with Georgia next week. Right, right. So, I mean, there's a lot of outside stuff right now. I believe this game is a much better matchup for the two teams. Both very pro-style offenses. Um, like like to run, power running, play action pass. And both very great defenses, even though I believe LSU's is much better, basically because their secondary is by far the best in the SEC. Defensive line, and linebackers still very good, but uh, and Auburn did gash them for 440 yards on the on the ground, but I don't I don't think Alabama's offense can barely replicate that at all. Yeah, I mean the the real question in this game revolves around the matchup between LSU's defense and Alabama's rushing game. I think uh, that that's the the key thing to look at here. If LSU can stop Mark Ingram and Trent Richardson. Which, uh, which some teams have done this year, and I think LSU is one of the better equipped teams to do that. If they can do that and force Greg McElroy to pass, which we've consistently said that that's the way you win against this Alabama team, you're right about LSU's yeah. secondary being one of the best in the SEC, and I think that could create some real problems yeah, Patrick, for Alabama. Yeah, Patrick, like last year of the game, Patrick Peterson was out with some type of injury, and obviously trying to cover Julio without Patrick Peterson, you know, not exactly the easiest feat. So. Yeah, but I, I think that matchup between uh, Peterson and Julio, that, that's that's a really interesting matchup to yeah. watch. Um, not exactly sure who gets the upper hand in that one, but LSU's defense all around, still very good. Alabama's defense very good, too. Also an interesting matchup to look, uh, uh, look at there between their defense and LSU's rushing game. Because uh, that's basically the only chance LSU is going to have to move the ball in this yeah. game. I, I don't think LSU can pass the ball on Alabama. Um, they're just not good enough to do that. Alabama's secondary much better than Auburn's. So I uh, don't think that LSU has much of a shot of passing. But if they're able to get uh, Stephen Ridley uh, to run the ball pretty well, I think they have a shot in this game. Uh, one of the intangible factors, I guess, everybody talks about LSU being a tough place to go play, but... This game is uh, its not a night game. It's 2.30 on CBS. Uh, traditionally, much tougher to play at Death Valley at night. You give a chance for all those corn dogs to uh, indulge themselves a little bit more during the day, get a little bit crazier. I don't know how much that factors into the game here. When I first saw that uh, this was not going to be a night game, that was my first thought. I was like, well, there goes LSU's chance to win yeah. this game probably. As the as time's gone on, I've thought about the matchup a little bit better, and I think they might have a shot. But I don't know. What what what's your prediction here? Um, uh, it'll be a very close game. Probably both teams in the low twenties, maybe high teens scoring wise. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a high scoring. It's, it's going to come either. down to a field goal, I believe, or maybe a last minute touchdown or something. Um, also, special teams, I believe, come into play here as well. We all know Peterson, amazing returner. I'm. The LSU's very good at special teams. Yeah, yeah, you can't forget about that. Great punter. Uh, if, if, we saw that, yeah. the great punter. Yeah. If LSU's special teams play like they did against Auburn, 
I believe LSU can win. Yeah. Because I don't think Alabama can drive on LSU like we did. But uh, still, I think in two weeks, um, LSU's offense somehow had has to figure out something. Yeah. You know? Well, when you get two weeks to prepare for Alabama, too, though, obviously it's a big help. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the home team. I'm going to go LSU on this one. All right. You're going to take the Just, upset. Yeah. I'm going to go with the upset on this one. Just it'll come down to special teams and whoever creates more turnovers on defense. All right. Well, I, I've been kind of waffling back and forth on this one, but I still think I'm going to go with Alabama in this game. I think Alabama's going to win this by a touchdown. Uh, I just I don't have enough faith in LSU's offense. I think the defense has a pretty decent shot of stopping Ingram and Richardson and uh, shutting down Alabama's offense to some extent. And like you said, I think it's going to be a pretty low-scoring game, but I just don't think that LSU is going to be able to move the ball much at all on uh, on Alabama's defense. And I really, if this was a night game, I'd probably feel differently. But uh, I don't It'll know. be half of a night game. It, it, you're right. So. Yeah, the ending will be, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to take Alabama in this one. I think uh, going into the Iron Bowl, you're you're still looking at an Alabama team with one loss. So. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Should be a, a great game to watch as soon as Auburn gets done uh, putting down Chattanooga. Turn on your TVs, CBS, check out that Alabama-LSU game, and uh, should be a good one. We'll be right back here after the break. No mullet minute today. Nick Cox, despite the fact he is out here talking to us about condiments, uh, he's got a lot of stuff to get done, so we're, we got something a little bit different for you. We're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about... Uh, Auburn players leaving early to go to the NFL, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the coaching vacancies starting to open up here around the country. We'll do that right after this break here on The Water Cooler. water cooler here. Got a couple of interesting things to talk about here. Uh, Topics we haven't really explored thus far. Auburn's basically got uh, two players that are starting to factor into the NFL draft conversation. One of those, of course, Cam Newton. Hard for him not to. And on the other side of the ball, of course, Nick Fairley. Having monstrous performances every game this season. Uh... I would say Nick Fairley at this point probably rated higher in the NFL draft than Cam Newton, just based on uh, 
what the NFL looks for. Yeah. Let's talk about him first. What do you think the chances are Nick Fairley's back next year? Um, I think it all depends on there's that the NFL lockout or whatever that deal right, is. Right. With the juniors coming up. Um, I don't know much about on that topic, but not not including that factor, I think if Nick Fairley's he, he, he will be a top first round pick. Yeah. Because he is the best defensive lineman this year. Um so I'm he, he he should take it if he's a first round pick. I agree. Uh, if I had to put a percentage on it, I'd probably say chances of Nick Fairley coming back are about ten percent. Yeah. I mean he's he's as good as gone. Uh, you never know from one season to the next how easy it's going to be to replicate a performance on like say the defensive line. So you, oh, yeah. if you got something going like that this year, I say you pretty much got to take it. So uh, I think we'll definitely see him leaving unless something drastic happens. Cam Newton a little bit more of an interesting case, though. Uh, he's starting to get asked this week these types of questions, saying all the right things, saying that he's not focused on that right now, focused on the team winning, all that. You know he's probably thinking about it. It's a little bit different for quarterbacks, especially a guy like Cam Newton, who's more of a, I don't want to say a run-first guy, but not as known as a pocket passer as yeah. some other guys like Jake Locker or Andrew Luck from Stanford, some of those guys. Probably still behind them on the NFL draft board just because that's what the NFL looks for, those pro-style pass-first quarterbacks. It's a little bit more of an interesting case. What are your thoughts on Cam Newton leaving? Um, yeah, I, I think he'll, be, he'll, he'll stay around one more year because I'm sure he knows he has to polish his passing skills. Um, hopefully that extra year will give him more time to do that. Um, also, plus the, just the coaching. Just more time coaching under Gus Malzahn because we all know he's a great quarterback coach. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see him leaving. Uh, he's, I, think, I think he actually loves it at Auburn as well. He's going to spend one more year here. Kind of like you know, the whole Tebow deal. You know, right. Everybody thought he was going to leave after his junior season, but he came back because he is all Florida. Um, he wants to leave on a good note. You know, all that. So. Yeah, and, and Cam has mentioned many times that Tebow's been a big role model for him. Yeah. You have to think that factors in. What if he wins the Heisman? <clears throat> that, and, I mean, that's almost a foregone conclusion at this point. Does oh, that yeah. change anything, that he wins the Heisman? Does that change whether he comes back or not? I, mean, I don't know. Even if he does win the Heisman, it's not because he's – it's the Heisman doesn't measure NFL prospects. Absolutely, yeah. Because, you know? obviously, yeah, like you said earlier, they're looking for more pocket passing, like with the luck. Jake Locker, Ryan Mallett. So we, we at least know there's going to be three or four quarterbacks above Newton, even if he does win the Heisman. Right. So I think he, he needs that one more year to, I guess, bump him up. Um, because they're, they're talking about, you know, he's, you know, second, third round pick, I guess, this year. But if he stays, he'll for sure be a first round pick. Yeah. In the, and I guess, 2011 draft. I think a lot of this could change, too, depending on how the rest of the season plays out. I mean, if he has monster games against Alabama in the SEC championship, in the national championship, if that comes to pass, that can change a lot of things because that's exposure above and beyond what he's already gotten. So I think a lot of that's going to come into play here, too, to determine what happens. For Nick Fairley, I don't think it matters how Auburn does the rest of the season. He's gone. Yeah. But Cam Newton, I think the next couple of games are going to be really important to determine that. Uh, and I think a lot of it might depend on what Gus Malzahn does, too. And let's talk a little bit about 
his options. He's been kind of coy about what he's thinking. We know he wants to be a head coach at some point. But the question becomes how good of an offer has to come along before he decides to leave. He's, he'll have been here for two years after this year, which the, this day and age for an up-and-coming coordinator, that's about average to stay, yeah. uh, stay at a place before you, you take a big job. He's been mentioned for North Texas, first of all. Uh, also, a lot of people expecting Dan Hawkins to get fired at Colorado. Um, Gus Malzahn's name coming up for that opening as well. What are, what are your thoughts on those two openings? Do you think either one of those is good enough to get Gus Malzahn to leave? Because that, that's kind of all that's yeah. on the table right now as far as openings. Yeah, I, I don't think either one of those, I guess, warrants him to go. Um, Colorado... I guess they're going to Pac-10, but still, they'll be the bottom of the barrel right. in that in that conference like they were in the Big 12. Um, North Texas, no way he takes that. Yeah, I, I mean, unless he just really wants to be a head coach, I think North Texas could probably be a slam dunk for him then. I think if he wanted that job, it would be his. Yeah. I'm not so sure that's the case with Colorado. Uh, they're talking with their former coach, Bill McCartney, who won a national championship there all the way back in 1990 wow. to come back. Uh, also, an interesting name I've heard surfacing for that job is Les Miles. For Colorado? Yeah, people discussing at this point <laughs> that uh, Les might, might try to get out before things get really rough in Baton Rouge, <laughs> sort of pull a Tubby Smith with basketball. I remember when Tubby Smith yeah. left Kentucky before they could fire him to go to Minnesota. People yeah. saying that's actually an option here, that Les Miles has reached out to Colorado. And, you know, these things are all rumors and speculation, but I don't see that one as that far-fetched. Yeah. I've, so, I've, I haven't heard that, but I also heard, you know, possibly A&M job might open up. That's true, yeah. They're not doing good. Possibly, I even heard the Miami job might open up. Yeah. Which, not sure about that, because they've, you know, they've been up and down this year, but... I, I think A&M job's a lot more likely, and yeah. I think that... Malzahn would probably be very interested in the A&M job. That's still a, a job in the South. He's got some ties to that. I think that job might be pretty intriguing to him. And then, of course, you wonder if Les Miles does leave to go to Colorado or something. I predicted before the season that Malzahn might end up at LSU. Uh, I don't know if that's still a possibility or not. You wonder if a program like LSU is willing to just hire a coordinator yeah. rather than a head coach somewhere else. But a lot of things starting to move here. If you had to put a percentage on whether Gus Malzahn would be back here or not next year, what number would it be? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards more of the higher end percentage, like maybe at least 75 or 80%. Really? You think yeah. that high? Huh? It, it seems like in all his interviews he says he wants to stay here, get the job done here, you know, get more experience. Um, he's, only, he's, he's still only a few years out of high school. That's true. He's yeah. only been out of high school for what? Eight years? No, five, no, five, yeah, five years. years. Five yeah. years, yeah. One, one at Arkansas, two at Tulsa, and soon to be two at Auburn. Right. So I'm, I guess he doesn't, not necessarily, he can challenge his coaching pedigree, you know, experience-wise in the college game. Um, but I, I think he stays here at least, at least one more year. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with you on that. I'm not so sure I would go as high as 75 or 80%, maybe 60, 65% that he's back next year, but... I would not be surprised to see Gus Malzahn come back for one more year. But after that, I say very little chance he's here longer than three years. Yeah. Uh, I think at that point, if, if he continues to have this much success next year, 
especially if Cam Newton sticks around, he's going to be a very, very hot commodity. So, a lot of moving parts, a lot of things to consider. We'll probably revisit this stuff here, too, uh, toward the end of the season, uh, see how some of these things shake out. As soon as more coaching jobs open up, too, there'll be plenty of coaching carousel uh, news to discuss. But uh, for now, a lot of things to think about. Got more things to think about coming uh, up here after the break. Got the pick 10. I had a great week last week. I'm catching up. <laughs> yeah, uh, not so much with me. Just right here at the end of the season, the race is really starting to heat up. We'll be right back here after the break with the pick 10 games. back here on the water cooler got the pick 10 for you like i said i'm starting to catch up i went eight and two last week best week i've had in quite some time how, were, how did you do five and five five and five so i picked up three games on you there i think we might even be tied now i'm not sure Uh-oh. so we'll uh, we'll see how that goes of course uh, our good friend david still in the lead last week he had a one game lead on you i think so uh, i think he'll still be in the lead after this week i haven't calculated his we'll see See how that ends up, but uh, we got some interesting games for you this week. A couple of games between teams we haven't really talked about too much, adding a little bit of an additional challenge here as the season yeah. comes to a close. But let's start out uh, with a Big Ten matchup. We have uh, two games from the SEC on the Pick Ten this week. Arkansas, South Carolina. Both of us pick South Carolina there. And then, of course, Alabama at LSU also on the Pick Ten. Brett picking LSU. I'm taking Alabama there. But this Pick Ten, uh, the Big Ten matchup, excuse me, uh, Illinois playing at Michigan this week. Both teams are five and three, I believe. Um, yeah. Illinois. Thing with them, their losses not terrible. Lost to Missouri, not a bad team. Lost to Ohio State and lost to Michigan State. Those are three pretty good losses to have. But the flip side of that, their wins aren't that great either. I mean, Southern Illinois, Northern Illinois. Uh, at least they're beating the teams in their own state, I guess. They beat Penn State pretty convincingly, beat Indiana, and beat Purdue. Not exactly a great resume of wins. But Michigan, I mean, they haven't really done a whole lot this year either. Yeah, that's kind of make the same argument for them, too, because yeah. I mean, they beat bad UConn team, bad Notre Dame, Massachusetts, Bowling Green, Indiana. That's it. And the, the thing that just amazes <laughs> me, every week as we go through the Pick 10, it's like, None of these teams play anybody, you know? Yeah. Like these Big Ten teams, when do they play their real games? Oh, wow. I so, I, I don't They're know. They're in there somewhere. This, somewhere, I guess, toward the end of the season. We're waiting for all these good games to happen. But this is a tough one to pick. Uh, Illinois seemingly sort of scraping by. Got a pretty decent defense, surprisingly. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I, 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 of the highlights I've seen are, you know, sports centered clips. i I've kind of been impressed with Illinois in my limited exposure. Um, they they are very they are a running first team. Um, they have a pretty decent running back in Lashore, if that's how you say his name. Um, plus also their quarterback uh, Steele Hass. I guess that's another name I can't pronounce. Um, he's you know 
I guess, dual threat quarterback, you could say. Kind of like a Juice Williams, but, but maybe not as good. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're putting almost 200 yards a game and rushing. About 150 passing a game. Um, but, yeah, I think their defense is kind of surprising, you know. They, they were playing a lot better. I mean, they, only, they gave up 24 points to Ohio State, 23 to Missouri, and 26 to Michigan State. And then, not counting those, I mean, no other team really scored above 13. You know, so yeah. I mean, they, they, their defense is, it seems pretty good for a Big Ten team. Um, Michigan, on the other hand, where is their defense? Uh, and it's not, they don't have a defense there. Um, Denard Robinson, he, even though he is a great player, if you take him out, that's, they're done. Yeah, yeah. and that's happened a couple times yeah. to them this year. I'm, Denard, he's not been uh, very robust. Yeah. I'm, they, Michigan will put up some points, but I don't think their defense is good as good as Illinois. Um, yeah, if Illinois can follow the same game plans as say other teams have by taking out Denard, uh, I think they have a very good shot at taking down Michigan at home. I do like it advantage for Illinois being a, a noon game in the Big House. That's so, true. That's true. I'm, I'm I'm gonna gonna go with Illinois on this one. Fighting a line eye. All right. And uh, I think, plus, there's just some other outside things going on with Michigan right now. Possible NCAA infractions. A lot of distractions. Yeah, Rich Rod possibly getting fired at the end of this year. So. Do so you think this is when the wheels fall off for Michigan right now? Yeah, I think this Saturday is, you know, just continuing trend of uh, losing. Uh, they, they lost three straight. I'm going to say four straight now. All right. I think I'm going to go the opposite way here. I'm going to take Michigan in this game. If Denard can stay in there, I think he's going to be a little bit too much for Illinois' defense to handle. But uh, I, I think this will be a pretty close game. Yeah. Maybe a little home field advantage, maybe not. But just for sake of argument, I guess I'll take Michigan in this one. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving out to the Pac-10 here. Got a couple interesting Pac-10 games this weekend. Arizona State traveling to the Coliseum to play... Lane Kiffin's USC team. USC performed better than I thought they would against Oregon, specifically on defense. And uh, you couple that with a couple things on Arizona State. They lost to Cal, which I think is pretty inexcusable. Lost yeah. big time, 50-17. to 17. You couple that in with the improvement that USC's shown, USC playing at home. They still got a pretty good quarterback in Matt Barkley. I'm going to take USC in this one. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing, taking the USC as well. But I, I wonder if there's any layover from, you know, the loss. That's true, that's true. So, that, that was a very emotional game, but I guess it was only emotional for maybe a half. Yeah. Because, I mean, Oregon definitely started pulling away come halftime. So. Plus, Not, if you're looking for, like, a South Carolina type of situation, it, they went on the road next week, yeah. too. So I think it helps USC to play at home. Yeah. Plus, Matt Barkley, very good. Um, at USC's defense seems to be improving. Arizona State, not exactly sure what's going on there, um, just because I haven't heard much from them, you know. Uh, losing to Cal, that's inexcusable. Lost close game to Oregon State. Of course, lost to Oregon. Lost to Wisconsin. I don't know. I and mean, yeah. And plus, I, I, I believe there's more distractions there as well with Dennis Erickson. I've kind of heard that as well. Yeah. Possibly leaving. So... Yeah, I'm definitely going USC on this one. Who would have ever thought that we'd say there'd be less distractions with the Lane Kiffin coach team? Yeah, I know. I'm surprisingly. <laughs> All right, so we're both going to take USC there. 
Uh, this is a smaller game next year. We're trying to fit in some teams we haven't talked about a whole lot. Navy playing East Carolina this week. We've got all three of the service academies on the pick ten this week. But we'll start with Navy at East Carolina. Both of these teams uh, also 5-3, and three, I believe. Um, the only thing I know about Navy, basically, is their quarterback, Ricky Dobbs. He's, uh, he's been pretty good for them. He was hurt for a portion of this year. But he's definitely a dual threat to pass and to run. Navy much more prolific in the running game than the passing game like the other oh, yeah. service academies. Uh, basically, the passing game almost non-existent. The thing with this, uh, this matchup, each team sort of has one quote-unquote impressive win, in my opinion. Navy beat Notre Dame, which... Maybe not that impressive anymore, that's, but... That's just a big rivalry game. Right, so. yeah. I mean, it's still sort of impressive. And then East Carolina beat uh, NC State in an overtime game, which I consider to be a pretty impressive win for them this year. So, two pretty equivalent teams here. Yeah, I'm very different, I think, attacks on right, offense. Right, On defense, not... don't really know too much about either one. Um, probably both serviceable, I guess, Yeah. can say. Um, but yeah, Navy has the triple option attack. ECU has more of a spread attack, I believe. Um, who's isn't it? Who's the coach at ECU now? I think it's uh, is it Ruffin McNeil? Is it not the guy uh, who was competing with Tommy Tuberville for the Texas Tech job? He was the defensive I coordinator. I think because uh, Skip Holtz left yeah. ECU to go down to uh, South Florida, so I'm pretty sure Ruffin McNeil's their head coach okay. now. So I'm. I'm going to go Navy just because they seem like the the bigger name. Plus, that's hard preparing for the triple option. But uh, uh, they, they put up some points. But uh, East Carolina, also a very good offensive team. They've been you know averaging, it looks like, I don't know, at least in the 30s as well on offense. Um, I'm a gut pick for Navy. So. Yeah, I, I'm not going to go against Ricky Dobbs here either. <laughs> I've seen a little bit of him on TV. And he's a very impressive player. I think ECU will have trouble stopping him. So I'm going to go with the, the midshipman on yep. this one as well. Uh, next game between the other two service academies, Air Force playing at Army. Obviously, both of these teams, very similar. Running-oriented attacks, serviceable defenses. Uh, I don't know. I kind of feel like Air Force has an advantage in this one, though. Air Force played Oklahoma very close. They only lost to them by three points. Um, Army is just pitiful at passing. Yeah. Uh, Air Force not much better, but Army is averaging 73 yards passing a game. Air Force at least getting over 100. They got 123 yards a game. Traditionally, Army has not been very good the past couple of years. It's surprising they're, what, 5-3 and three this year? I mean, that that's a pretty amazing yeah. record for them. They've, they've been struggling over the past 10 years or so to win one or two games a season. So kudos to Army for doing that, but I still feel like Air Force is the better team here. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, Air Force had a tough game against Oklahoma, almost beating Oklahoma. Also, last weekend, they almost beat Utah. It was 28-23. So they've definitely played harder competition overall. Um, Also, Air Air Force has played TCU as well. Um, BYU, I guess they already beat Navy earlier in the year. So Air Force, they've played a lot better competition. 
um, putting up better numbers than Army. Uh, I wish I, for Army, if they wore the, the camo uniforms like they did last week, that's pretty cool. Yeah, those, those so, are very cool. Besides that, I'm going to have to go with Air Force on this one as well, just because they've had better games, put up more impressive numbers, and they just they're just a better team. I agree with you on all counts here. All right, we're moving up to the Big 12 now. The surprising Baylor Bears to just keep winning, traveling to uh, play Oklahoma State this week. <laughs> Oklahoma State 7-1, Baylor 7-2, I believe. But Baylor picked up a win over Texas last week. We doubted them, but they came through, managed to win that game. What are you thinking this week against Oklahoma State? Uh, it'll be an offensive shootout for sure. Uh, not... It, I think it depends on which defense shows up more. Yeah. Uh, it's hard stopping Robert Griffin of Baylor. But then, on the other hand, you got Oklahoma State with Whedon and Hunter in the backfield. Uh, and I don't know. It's Plus, actually, Oklahoma State gets Blackman back after his one-game suspension with the DUI. So that definitely helps their offense. I don't know. I mean, both defenses, you know, giving up about 25 points a game. Um, I think this would be a fairly, like a fairly evenly matched um, offensive shootout. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go Oki State on this one, going with the home team, and uh, I'm just not sure how Baylor responds to the you know being ranked. It's true. Um, possible Heisman candidacy for Robert Griffin. How he responds to that. Um, I don't know. Baylor's kind of on the map right now, so. Yeah. Let's, let's see how they handle the success. I, I don't know. I mean, I bet against Baylor last week. I don't think I'm going to do it again here. I think Robert Griffin is going to have a big game. Uh, Oklahoma State still hasn't really played anybody that's impressed me that much yet. So I'm going to take Robert Griffin and Baylor here. I'm going to stop All betting right. against them. I'm going to start believing in the <laughs> Baylor Bears. We'll see what happens on that one. Next game on the, the list here, this is a huge matchup between two non-automatic qualifier teams, TCU and Utah playing this week. TCU number three, Utah number five. Uh, this is basically uh, the game for all the marbles in the Mountain West yep. to determine who's going to be that second uh, BCS buster team along with Boise State. Uh Obviously, TCU number three right now, but I think you can expect if Utah wins this game, they'll just take TCU's spot. Yeah. So, both of these teams have excellent defenses. I think TCU's defense is probably better, but I'm, I think Utah's offense might be a little bit better. So, with that in mind, I'm trying <laughs> to look at the, uh, the schedules... A little bit more impressed by TCU's win over Oregon State than I am by Utah's win over Pittsburgh. And other than that, both of these teams don't really have a lot to be proud of Yeah. Uh, thus far. I don't know. What are you thinking? Um, yeah, I agree. Both defenses are very good. Granted, they are playing more against the Mountain West teams. So, putting up great numbers on defense. Um, I do like Andy Dalton and TCU. Very good quarterback, you know, possibly get in the NFL one day. Um, is he is he a senior this year? I think he or, is a senior, okay. right, yeah. So, I do like Gary Patterson, great coach um, at TCU. Oh, this pretty tough to call, but I think I'm going to have to go TCU on this one just because, like you said, I think they've played a couple better games than Utah. Um, 
Plus, I like TCU's defense in this one. Yeah, I agree. It's at Utah, which you know you got to factor that into. But TCU's played a little bit more impressive schedule. Uh, I think their defense is better than Utah's offense is better than TCU's, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the differential there for TCU's defense a little bit higher. Uh, plus, I'm just not willing to bet against Gary Patterson. I think uh, he shows up pretty well in these type of games. So I'm going to take TCU in this yeah. one as well. But should close, be close game. Very close game. Another great game to watch this weekend. Let's talk about their, uh, their buddy, Boise State. Uh-oh. Taking on Hawaii this week. Hawaii, a team that uh, has shown some interesting promise this year. They beat uh, number 19 at the time, Nevada, who a lot of people were pretty high on. Hawaii's got the number one passing attack in the country, averaging almost 400 yards of passing per game. What do you think? Is there a chance for an upset here? Boise State's one of their crappy, uh, crappy schedule I'm... opponents. Can they take them down? I, I think so. You think so? Yeah, huh? I'm, I'm going to Hawaii on this oh, one. Oh wow! Even though it's not on, it's not on the island, so they don't get the Boise State doesn't get island fever out there. But right, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I I think if anybody can knock them off, Hawaii can do it. Possibly Nevada. I I think Hawaii just has a better shot at it just because their offense, passing wise, is just fantastic. So you think they're going to spread out Boise State? Hell yeah! Just run them to death. I think so. Um, Plus, Boise State, they are a great, great, great team. Um, they do definitely get up for these type of games, um, play really well. But I don't know. I think Hawaii is going to do it. Gut feeling, even though it could be wrong, but that's that's what I'm feeling. Yeah, I wish I could agree with you, but I can't. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to go Boise State in this one. <laughs> I, I don't know. I haven't watched Hawaii this year, so it's difficult for me to predict that well. But I have seen Boise State play, and I don't think they're going to lose to a team like Hawaii, so yeah. I don't know. It'd be great if it did happen, put all this talk to rest, and I think there is a chance, but uh, I, I can't go against Boise State here. So, Alright, one more game here on the Pac-10 to talk about. Number 13, Stanford, playing at home with number 15, Arizona, coming to town. Arizona gets Nick Foles back, their uh, prolific quarterback. Talk to me about this game. What do you see? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards Stanford right now. Um, Stanford's only lost to Oregon. Stanford has pretty good defense. I like Andrew Luck, Jim Harbaugh out there. Nick Foles, very good at quarterback for Arizona. Um, they did just come off with a close win over UCLA. I don't know. But it is on the road at Stanford, so I'm going to have to go with Stanford on this one. All right, you're going to take Stanford. Let me tell you a couple things about Arizona. They got a pretty good defense, which some people have said is overrated, but I think uh, I think they're pretty solid. Uh, they didn't really beat Cal or UCLA like they should have. They only beat Cal ten to nine, and it seems like we're bashing Cal a lot here, but they're just not a very good team this year. So not a very impressive win there for Arizona over them. But despite all that, I'm picking this as my upset special here. I think Arizona is going to take down Stanford. I just I got a feeling that. Stanford uh, just isn't in position to win as many games as they've been winning so far. So, I guess that's that's your upset. This is my upset here. I already picked two. Yeah, LSU and Hawaii. So, I'm yeah, uh, maybe Baylor's an upset over Oklahoma State. I don't know, but I'm going to take yeah. Arizona in this one over Stanford. Again, another uh, great matchup between 
Two closely ranked teams. A lot of good games to watch this weekend. Let's recap the Pick 10 picks for you here real quick. Both of us going to take South Carolina over Arkansas. And the Bama-LSU game, Brett's going to take LSU at home. I'm going to take Alabama. Uh, Michigan and Illinois meeting in a Big Ten matchup. I'm going to take the Wolverines. Brett's going to take Illinois. Both of us are going to take USC, uh, the Western USC, over Arizona State. Both of us are taking Navy over East Carolina. Both of us are taking Air Force over Army. Brett's going to take Oklahoma State, and I'm going to take Baylor in that Big 12 game. Both of us are picking TCU over Utah. Brett's going to take a big upset over uh, with Hawaii over Boise State. Getting rid of that mid-major yeah. talk. I'm sticking with Boise State there, though. And Brett's going to take Stanford, and I'm going to take Arizona in that Pac-10 game there. That's what we got for you here this week on the water cooler. We'll be back next week uh, as the season draws to a close. Auburn has a big matchup with Georgia next weekend. We'll definitely tell you everything you need to know about that. But as always, we're your source for Auburn football, the SEC, and college football. Everything you need to know, you can get it right here on the water cooler.